I, I don't enjoy telling you guys and telling the audience that I went through that. It's not fun. I, I don't like having to say that, but it's made me a better person. I'm, I'm a far better connector with people who are going through pain and sorrow and hurt than I ever would have been had I not done it. And I wish I could take the wisdom that God has given me now and apply it to my youth ministry days. You can't do that. You can't go back. And I can't live with the regrets. I, I don't live with the regrets, but I do wish I would have had a little more wisdom and I wish I would have had a better way to connect with those parents. So I do have that one thing as I step back and look at it that I wish I would have done different. How many of us have something in their life where they wish they could go back and do differently? What about as a leader? Youth ministry goes beyond just working with students. We can be so focused on the students in our ministry that we forget to support and encourage parents in their journey, especially if we're not a parent ourselves. As a youth leader, how can we help parents win? Today, we discuss many insights with the founder of Winning at Home, Dan Seaborn. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We are discussing ways we can encourage parents. Now, before we get into our interview with Dan Seaborn, we want to encourage you to check out our last episode of the series, 10 Ways to Help Parents Win. The title is pretty self-explanatory. It's a list of 10 things that you can use to help parents win. And next week, we will hear from students directly about their family habits at home. Subscribe to Thought Factory Podcast on iTunes. And if you are someone who goes to YouTube to find podcasts, you can find all of our episodes there, including additional material that may not make the cut. Now, let's jump into our interview with Dan Seaborn. Hello, Dan. This is Jason. Hello, Jason. What's up? So today we have an incredible guest. He's been a hero of mine for a big part of my life. And in all the many things that he's done, I've looked up to him and followed his career and his ministry. So we are pleased to have Dan Seaborn, the founder of Winning at Home, with us today. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jason. Hey, it's good to join you guys. A hero of yours, Jeff? I'm your hero? <laughs> you got a pretty short list going on, on there, the bas- bro. Especially on the basketball court, I'm just saying. Oh, well, yeah. If you're talking basketball, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I can teach anyone how to have an attitude on a basketball court. How's that? <laughs> so uh, so you're the founder of Winningham. Tell us about what you're doing these days. Okay. Well, do lead a ministry called Winning Home, founded in West Michigan, and it continues to to thrive from here. The Lord has blessed us um, with the opportunity to touch families at a whole new level. I was youth pastor for many, many years, and one of the things that happened for me was I continued to work with the teens, love it, and love what you guys are doing. In fact, I want to thank you again for leading such an effective ministry across the country and, you know, I, I remember the days I enjoyed doing some of those same things. And one of the things that occurred to me during that time was, wow, you know, I can help the teens, but really a big factor here is helping their parents. And so the Lord continued to guide me in that direction. And I started a ministry called Winning at Home. And we have grown as a ministry in terms of outreach. Our goal is just to simply give practical biblical insight to families at all ages and stages of development. And we do that through my speaking as I travel around the country, but we also have about 20 counselors at our local site here in West Michigan, and they see 
this year we'll see about 13,000 families and people. And so our goal is just to help families know how to come alongside their teens, their children, and be more effective in leading them and growing them in their relationship with Christ. Pretty simple ministry, uh, but the Lord has blessed us and allowed us to make a difference. Dan, I've done extensive research on you, and my question uh, comes from that. How does it feel to be the only Dan Seaborn on Google? Oh, is that true? (laughs) I've never done that, so I didn't know that. I'll have to do that later, but I guess that's a good thing. Unless you do something bad, then it probably would be a bad thing. (laughs) Well, in all seriousness, you, you mentioned you were a youth pastor. Could you go a little bit more into your background in working with students? Yeah, we... Uh, came here in 1988, I believe it was, when I really began my first youth ministry. So it's been quite a few years ago. But we started in youth ministry at a church called Central Wesleyan in Holland, Michigan. And uh, from that ministry, uh, the Lord did some crazy stuff. I actually came out of a financial background. I was a financial director of a hospital and so totally changed careers, went in ministry. My first youth group when I was a youth pastor was a group of two. I remember my first speech was to two people, and I remember thinking, Lord, there's got to be more people showing up than this. And I do recall him very clearly telling me, you give these two people all you got. You give them all you got, and I'll continue to bless and guide you. And he did. We We began to build a ministry that became uh, probably five or six hundred students at the time, which was just a crazy number of students. We we had a lot of gang members as part of it because uh, the Lord just opened the doors to many different territories in the area where we lived in West Michigan and many different people involved. And it was just a, a really fun ministry. I look back and though I wouldn't want to go back and do it every week, I sure love to relive one of those weeks again because it was a pretty special time. And I saw the difference it makes. And now, 20 years past that, I look back and I get to see those kids who were part of that youth ministry. Now they've become adults. They're having children. Their children are becoming teenagers. And to continue to hear them give their testimony of their love for the Lord and how that ministry impacted them. I I think that's one of the things we youth pastors and youth workers forget, even parents forget, is how impactful a solid Christian ministry can be and such a, plays such an integral part in the life of your student when they're going through that time. And, you know, Jeff, when you talk about me being a little bit of your hero, well, part of that was because I was a little older than you. And for me, some of my heroes are the people that in my late teens that I looked at that I thought, man, those people are inspiring. They're making a difference. And so as youth pastors, I often I often say to youth pastors when I speak to them, the probably the most important thing I ever did was just be a role model, was just be somebody that the kids looked up to and said, when I get older, if I can do something like that guy's doing, then I'm going to have an impact on the world. And that's probably one of the greatest things we do. And I think sometimes we underestimate that. We spend more time thinking, you know, where should I put this particular thing in the, in the, in the room? Or how should I set this room up? Forget about all that junk. That's important. But make sure you understand your witness and your testimony is most important. And I think that's what I learned in my years of ministry was I'm impacting teens and students for years to come. And, and that's, that's probably what I learned that was really awesome for me to learn during my days of youth ministry. Now, this wasn't in our notes, but something came to mind here okay. that uh, I want to ask you about, because if you're listening to this and you've ever worn a WWJD bracelet, <laughs> you need to hear this. Dan, tell us about WWJD. Well, I'm actually sitting in my office as we're doing this interview, and I can wheel around and see it. Well, when... When we were doing a youth convention, Jeff, you probably remember the year better than me. I want to say it was around the year 2000, but we maybe earlier than that. Maybe it was um, in 1990. But we were doing a major youth convention um, in the Wesleyan Church at the time. 
and so we were trying to come up with a theme for it. And the theme we kind of settled on was this thing called WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? And it was from the book, you know, that uh, um, that had the same title. And so uh, one of the things I did with our youth ministry was I said, hey, guys, just to remember this, let's put it on something. And so actually the first uh, little WWJD logo icon was put on a button. I have two of them. I'm looking at them in my office right now, the original button that was put on. And so we challenged our students to wear that button to school, and they did that. Then eventually the guy that owned the company came to me and said, hey, Dan, let's put these things on bracelets, and let's put it on people's arms, and let's put WWJD on it and see what happens. And, well, we all know what happened. It became a pretty amazing phenomenon. Wow. Too bad you didn't patent that, right? (laughs) No. Actually, you, you want to get a kick out of this, okay? So the thing takes off. It starts blowing up, and an attorney calls me and says, hey, do you want to go after the rights to this WWJD button? He said, because if you do, and and we can prove that you're the founder and where it started, dude, do you know how much money you're going to make? And this is literally what I said to the attorney on the phone. I said to him, well, let me think a second. WWJD. <laughs> and he goes, what? And I was like, well, what would Jesus do? Would he try to see this as a chance to make a million dollars, or would he just try to make an impact? And the guy's like, are you serious? I said, yeah, I don't I don't want a penny. I never took a penny for the whole thing, not one penny, because that wasn't what it was about. It was about trying to make an impact for the Lord. Wow, that's incredible. That awesome. Way to live by pretty example. Pretty cool story. Yeah, that is Pretty cool, cool story. But hey, if you made money on it, send me 10% of it. I'll just yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. So when it comes to being a youth worker, what do you... What do you know now as a parent that you wish you knew then when you were a youth pastor and youth worker? Oh, good grief. That is that is such a great setup question because if I could do one thing over, it would be like clue in a little more what it's like when you're a parent and you feel like your kids are struggling or wayward or a little disconnected from the youth group, et cetera, et cetera. I can remember parents coming in and having that sort of a heart with me saying, Dan, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with my kid here and there. Well, hey, dude, I was just out having fun with these kids, you know, and I didn't understand the amount of trauma and the amount of pain that some of the parents were going through related to what they were dealing with with their kids, because I was the fun guy. I was the kid. I was the guy that their kids, even though they weren't getting along with their parents, they were having a ball with me. And I, if I look back, I wish I would have been more effective at coming alongside those parents and giving them more tips and tools on how to uh, cope with some of the things they're going through. And part of the reason I'm at that place is because, you know, I had four children um, that, that went through youth groups, et cetera. And my youngest, uh, my bubbly, I call her bubbly, her name was Anna. So she went wayward. Um, she, she really got involved in some amazingly horrible things. And it was the most painful thing in my life. And I would have paid I would have paid as much money as I could find or have borrowed from anyone to have had a youth pastor, someone come alongside me, et cetera, to help me deal with my pain, my hurt, my sorrow. I had counselors here, obviously, at our ministry that talked to me about it. But the one thing I regret as I look back at my days of youth ministry is that I did not relate and connect more with parents at that level. Uh, I I think I came alongside them. I think I prayed for them. I think I encouraged them. But you can't know the type of pain you feel as a person when you have a wayward child or a child who's disconnected. Um, You can't know that until you go through it. And I certainly, (laughs) I I don't enjoy telling you guys and telling the audience that I went through that. It's not fun. I I don't like having to say that, but it's made me a better person. I'm, I'm a far better 
connector with people who are going through pain and sorrow and hurt than I ever would have been had I not done it. And I wish I could take the wisdom that God has given me now and apply it to my youth ministry days. You can't do that. You can't go back. And I can't live with the regrets. I, I don't live with the regrets, but I do wish I would have had a little more wisdom, and I wish I would have had a better way to connect with those parents. So I do have that one thing as I step back and look at it that I wish I would have done different. So, Dan, I have a little bit of transparency and, and uh, confession that I have to make with you. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I was a youth pastor at Daybreak, and yeah. Anna attended my youth group. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So I know That's Anna. That's circle, man. Yeah, and uh, didn't know you. I knew of you, but I, I knew your daughter. Yeah. And so during those times, even as you're talking about wanting a, a youth pastor to come alongside, I'm like, man, I was... I was that youth pastor. And well, the funny part is, Jason, here's what's funny. So the youth pastor that I would have said that about probably would have been in another church because you need to know, you need to know. I never got to meet you, didn't know you, but the one time that Anna changed, I mean, God did something remarkable in her heart. She came home totally different. It was when you were a youth pastor and she came home from camp, and that was just before, well, she was in the middle of some bad decisions. She went to that camp. Touched her, changed her, crazy, but she didn't stay connected. As you know, we live a yep. little distance from you, so yep. she didn't stay connected. That's that's not your fault. That's her fault because she loved you. I remember talking about, I didn't know it was you. Yeah. I didn't know it was you, so big big kudos and hugs for me right now. But let me tell you that the impact you had on her life, she will still talk about it to this day. She'll talk about the two or three adults that were there because hmm. she knew you guys cared about her. And I don't know if you realize this. So the next year, her mom and I were so thrilled because she was going to the camp again. And we were so pumped about that. And she went that second year, but she came home and she even told us, I knew you guys were wanting me to have the same experience I had the first time. So I, I, I decided in my heart, I would not let that happen. And so I fought against it. So that was wow. really, it was on her. It's not on you because I would tell you to this day, when she refers to places where she did find hope, et cetera, it would be daybreak. It would be your ministry. It would be the camp you took her to. So a uh, big kiss. I'll send you a $5 bill sometime <laughs> as a thank you because, no, seriously, man, that, that's awesome. Thank you for your impact on her life. That's part of probably you, you need to know the rest of the story. She's turning the corner. She's coming back to the Lord. And I think that some of the things you did were a critical part of that. She just never got connected with our local church and our, our local youth ministry where we attended, and that was just painful for me. Well, I just wanted to mention that because obviously it's not in the notes or anything, but as I hear you speak, and, and now I am a parent of three boys, and at the time I was not a parent. And, and that question about what would I would do differently as a parent and in youth ministry, it, it's one of those taking this, the empathy to, yeah. to try uh-huh. to step myself into the, the shoes of parents and go, uh, yeah. my, my child is struggling and how can I, yeah. how can I help or how can I seek help and, and who can surround my child? I, uh, I knew Anna and yeah, I even have heard you speak since and yeah. you've you brought her up into, in messages and I, you know, I still have a uh-huh. care for her and, and where she's at yeah. and, and where her, her faith journey has taken her. And so I, yeah, I, it's coming. It's coming. We praise the Lord. It's definitely coming. Uh, she actually just texted me this morning, Dad, can we do lunch together soon? Hmm. So we, we just have a different relationship, yeah. and the Lord's doing something. But you guys, I really think if you guys hadn't been there at all, I have no I have no question in my mind how much deeper she would have gone the wrong way. Yeah. So just, you know, hey, for anyone listening today who hasn't been a part of the camps, 
that these guys are doing, the leadership they give. I, I'm just telling you, get involved because it might be something. If it doesn't change your kid in the moment, long term, it could it could do something to really impact their life because these are critical days and critical stages. And I, I'm so thankful for the people that the Lord brought along and, and used in your ministry to touch my daughter, Anna. And so thank you again, Jason, for that. My pleasure. Going on to a, a next question is what kinds of things should youth workers be thinking about when it comes to working with parents? Kind of dovetail onto that last question. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, with what I do right now uh, in ministry at Winning Home, I'm a little bit on the front lines of knowing what parents are dealing with. Our counselors are dealing with issues related to a lot of things with teens. And probably number one right now would be the phenomenon that's kind of trendy across our society to, you know, same sex, uh, sex change, all the things related to that sexual identity. And right now, parents are really struggling because they didn't grow up with that. They haven't grown up being around that. So the conversation itself is very uncomfortable. And and so that would be uh, number one topic. Number two topic for me would be things related to social media. Alan, my son, has developed a speech about how uh, the kids who are doing social media, it's their life. They grew up with it. It's not something new for them. But for us, uh, we didn't grow up with it. I, I didn't grow up with a phone in my hand. I didn't grow up texting. I didn't grow up doing those things. So as a parent, I feel disconnected. My kid is telling me this is a normal part of life. Just like for me, a car is a normal part of life. Well, for them, a phone and these social media networks are a part of their life. They, they've never known life without it. And so that's a change, and that's challenging for parents because they're trying to speak into something that they're not comfortable with, something they're not aware of. And when you're not aware of something, you can't speak into it effectively. So I think as youth pastors, one of our jobs is to educate parents, to give them insights on how to deal with this stuff, show them a proper Christian way to handle a child coming to you saying they want a sex change. How do you have a conversation that that is comfortable uh, from your end and still honors the Lord and allows your child the freedom to have that conversation without you overreacting. Because most parents are going to freak out in all these areas. They're just going to freak out because they're going, oh, my word, what if, what if, what if? And you got to not go there. Um, youth pastors can be very effective in talking to parents on steps to be able to do those things. We are going to take a short break. And when we return, we will hear more of Dan's advice and the best way to come alongside parents in youth ministry. Hey, my name is Matt Rhodes. I'm a Kernersville Wesleyan Church down in North Carolina. And I just wanted to say that I really value the Never the Same Camp. I've been a part of it for several years now with a couple different churches. And one of the things I love is, is not only do my students have an incredible time, they, they enjoy the team comps and the sessions and all the things that come along with the NTS culture, but the thing that I value the most as a youth leader is that they give me the most opportunity to spend time with my students. Over the years, I've been to lots of different camps, and, and sometimes it can be really hard to, to connect and spend time with students when you're, you're planning and, and, and a part of everything that makes camp happen. And I love the fact that at NTS, my number one job is to spend time with my students. I feel like it increases the impact of my ministry throughout the entire year. I can't say enough about the value of that time the NTS affords me. How can youth workers get parents involved? You talk about your past and, and wanting to connect more, but you're speaking now to, to a large audience of youth workers. What can they do to, to connect parents and get them involved in what they're doing? Well, the first thing I would want to say to youth workers and pastors is uh, if you call a meeting of parents 
and two show up, don't be discouraged. Uh, when, when our youth group was running massive numbers, uh, I would say, okay, parents will have a meeting, you know, and 10 parents would show up, 12 parents would show up. And I'd be like, what? So, you know, obviously one of the things I started doing was going, okay, I know how to do this. I'm going to announce to the parents that I'm going to have a youth meeting, a youth meeting for parents. And at this meeting, I'm going to tell them that I'm doing a sermon next week on sex and I'm going to be showing a video and I want to make sure they're okay with the video. Oh, they showed up in freaking droves, man, because they wanted to see what, what's this video he's showing. Well, I didn't really have a video. I just set them up because I wanted them to come. And so once they get there, then you got a chance to talk to them. So I think uh, you got to come up with effective methods to get their attention to get them to realize, hey, I'm trying to help you out here. But honestly, I think the the best technique, though it takes a lot of time, is just getting time with them. So intentionally say to a parent, hey, let's go out, let's chat, let's do this, let's do that. Intentionally bring in parents. Because the one thing parents don't want to feel is like you're taking their kids away from them and they don't know what's going on. So the more you inform them, the more you connect with them, the more you say things like, hey, I'm on your team. Now, in my case, uh, I'm, I'm a speaker. That's what I do. I'm a public speaker. I'm a pastor. And so I had an obvious opportunity when I would preach on a Sunday, for example, to say, hey, parents, before I begin the sermon here, just thank you for allowing me to work with your students. I'm trying to connect with them. I'm trying to make life better for you. I'm trying to talk about them uh, with them about pertinent things of our culture and of our day. And so I thank you for working with me in that process. I had a platform. Uh, where I could speak to parents and be able to communicate that. Some of you youth pastors and youth workers have that same platform. There's an opportunity for you to speak it into their lives. Others of you who don't get that format, you don't have that ability, uh, connect with them through social media, build a network of parents, have a forum on there where you say, parents, ask questions, any question you want to ask me, blah, blah, blah. So just do things that put yourself at a place where parents can come to Be approachable. Be approachable. Don't be a person that is ineffective at having adult conversations. I just had someone stop in my office and say, can you help me with our youth pastor? I'm like, what's going on? They said, can't talk to adults. Incredibly brilliant at working with the students, et cetera, but they can't communicate to the adults. Don't know how to. So work on those communication skills in that area. Uh, be able to be approachable. Make sure you make yourself available for parents because they, they need that connecting point. So. I just want to get this clear. You deceived parents to come to a meeting. <laughs> Absolutely. Without question. <laughs> so that, I wouldn't say deceived. I tricked them. <laughs> so that leads me into the next question. What are ways that youth workers can either gain or lose trust with parents? <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, question. having a meeting where you say something that doesn't really happen. How's that, number yeah. one? No, my point is, if you just stand up and say, hey, parents, i got a meeting. I'll talk to you a little bit. I'm going to go over some of the stuff I'm doing. They're not going to come. But if you right. say... Listen, I'm speaking to the lives of your teens right now, and, our, and this is, I, I was being humorous. But oh, let yeah, me tell I, you, I would. I know you knew I was. But I would say, right now, one of the top issues in our society is same-sex issues. I would love to talk to you as parents about that and what your kids are hearing. For example, I would say that most parents would have no clue, no clue that their kids, their daughters in particular, would have received a picture of a guy's private part on their phone. There's a, there's a name for that. It's called a, it's called a something pick. And I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't want to offend anyone listening to this, but it's a pretty common thing. And I would say most girls who are over the age of 12, if they've got a cell phone, have received that pick. And I would say the average parent has no clue. And I believe it would be effective as a youth pastor to say, Hey, I'm going to talk about this. It's something that you may not be aware of, 
but you need to know there are legal ramifications. There are different issues that could affect your child. And I'm going to talk about that at this parents meeting. They're going to show up. They are going to show up again because you're giving them practical, relevant things that will help them as a parent. So, of course, don't be deceitful as being funny, but be effective. Think about it. Think if you were a parent, what you'd want to know, and then make that available for those parents because they'll show up for that. One of the things that we're looking into our research here is is students telling us about their rhythms of intentional family conversations when it comes to spiritual things. I mean, this is what you do, but you're again, to youth workers, how can they equip families and parents to have these intentional spiritual family conversations? Well, the reason this is such a difficult question to answer is because parents do that different ways. So when you give a specific guidance to a parent, they're going to take it their way. For example, um, and by the way, I want to back up even before I address this and say, I was amazed at what I learned over the years. I, I saw very conservative parents, conservative with conservative parent styles, who ended up raising awesome, awesome kids. And I also saw conservative parents who ended up raising hellions. And then on the other side, the liberal parents, the people who are, oh, and I give my kids total freedom. Some of their kids turned out awesome. And some of their kids turned out it was really not good. And so I found myself going, hang on a second. There's not a right way or a wrong way. There's just God's way that will give me guidance in my family. So I think it's very important as a youth pastor that you not pick a side and say, you know, for example, if you're a youth pastor who grew up in a really conservative home, you might tend to be more, oh, I support the way the liberal parents do it. Don't even say what your favorite is. Just understand that parents parent at all different styles and all different ways, and you need to come alongside them and celebrate those different ways and realize they get to decide how they do it. So then the next step becomes, how do I give them a little bit of a guidance, a little bit of wisdom in knowing how to do this with their kids? Because the really conservative parents are going to say, I want my children to memorize 26 scriptures every year, and then they have to quote them at Christmas time in order to get one Christmas gift. We only give one Christmas gift because we believe that's honoring to the way Jesus, you know, I mean, you know how it goes. And then you got the liberal parents going, we don't even look at the Bible. We, we look at the sun and we see messages of hope coming from the sun. And, you know, so you got this crazy gamut of things as a youth pastor you got to speak into. So what I say is to parents, you have the freedom to parent however you want to parent. You get to do it however you want to do it. But let me tell you some connecting ways you need to understand that work for your kids. And then realizing their kids do things different ways. But I always said to parents, number one, be available to talk to your teenager when they're ready to talk. Very effective thing right here. Be willing to talk to them when they're ready to talk. In other words, it might be 2 a.m. And I know some parents are used to ask, no, no, I'm serious. One of the greatest pieces of advice that one of my mentors who raised some awesome kids told me was, be ready to talk no matter what time they want to talk. Because their effective communication might happen best at 2 a.m. And as a parent, you need to understand if you've got four children, three children, two children, they're going to communicate different ways. And you need to teach those parents that if they're going to effectively communicate with their kids, they got to be willing to talk to them at the time their kids best connect. They may not like that. They may say, well, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm giving in to my kid. Okay, that, that's fine. I'm just trying to tell you when they want to talk is the time you need to talk because you forcing the conversation will not work. And I'm real big on the quote with the guy that said, you know, uh, talk about Jesus, say everything you can about Jesus, and when necessary, use words. Because I think as parents, the greatest thing we'll do is set an example of 
living the life of Christ in an awesome way in front of our children. So to me, the most effective way we connect with our kids spiritually is to talk when they're ready to talk, connect with them by the way you live. And then uh, I would say to you also, just make sure you understand that your child is going to connect with God a way that's possibly different from yours. As I've aged, one of the things I love is when people tell me how they connect with God. People do it millions of different ways. It does not have to be sitting down with a Bible in my lap. And I think knowing that my child's connecting with God is what's important to me. So with me, I would just always say to my kids, hey, are you connecting with God? How are you doing that? What's working for you? And give them freedom to have that ability and connection. Some will do it uh, the traditional way. Some will do it a different way. But the key you want is that they are connecting with God. And I think as a youth pastor, wisdom says, understand I'm working with a gamut, a lot of different people. Don't get caught up in thinking your way of doing it is the way they need to do it. Be very careful of that as a youth worker, youth pastor. Step back and go, okay, this is just the way I do it, but I need to work within the within the realm of the fact that God may work a lot of different ways. I know there's a tendency in youth ministry, especially for me, even when I was a youth pastor, um, to place the blame on the parents. You, we have a very small sliver of time as a youth pastor, youth worker, with these students. And so we go, well, the parents are at fault when they're acting up or not really engaged or not into faith or all that stuff. But then as a parent now, I pray for my sons to have adults that surround them that are outside of my home that will guide him in his faith, their faith. And so my question is, how can youth workers fill in the gaps with students who don't have the parental support for their faith? Well, um, you've asked a huge question there, Jason. That, that's the biggest question I feel has been asked so far. So let, let me first respond to the first part of what you were talking about. Um, probably one of the most difficult things that I had to ever face in my life was I would consider myself like if you guys had taken me 20 years ago aside and said, what kind of parent are you? I would have said, ultimate cool, awesome parent, very amazing dad that spends incredible time with my kids, bet none of them will go wayward. I'm so darn good at this, okay? So I get to this place in the last, you know, seven years of my life where Anna goes wayward, and I sit in my office not knowing where she is, and the amount of pain and hurt that I feel tears my freaking heart out of my body. I hurt so stinking bad. I would have never dreamed. I would have never dreamed I would know that kind of pain. And probably one of the most painful moments in that time of pain was someone who walked in my office and said to me, have you figured out what you've done wrong yet? And I thought, you know, the person had no idea that it hurt me so deeply, but it's like, wow. So while I'm down and hurting and, and I don't believe it was me, I don't, I don't believe it was ineffective parenting. I believe it was a willful choice. Or I don't believe I was a perfect parent. I believe I could have done plenty of things better but I don't think I'm the reason that happened. I think it was choices that she made. And so as a youth pastor now, uh, I want to tell you, you guys talked about what would I do different. It would be, be very careful not to just assume that though some kids struggling with something has to do with the parent. Uh, In fact, I don't go there anymore at all. And and I know, I know people have uh, ridiculed me. I know there are people who have celebrated. I know I was told the other day of someone who celebrated, that I went through that tough time because I've just had such an easy road and everything's just been perfect. And I want to say, 
hey, you don't live in my shoes, man. You don't you don't know my life. And so I think that uh, as a youth pastor now, to understand when there is a kid that's not doing the best, don't don't just look. See, of course, there's plenty of times it's parent related. Of course, there is. I mean, they'd be foolish not to say there isn't. But when you're that parent who is living in humiliation and you're going through a, a terribly painful time, the last thing you need is a youth pastor or people questioning and acting like you're the issue. I, I remember when I was going through it one day, I was sitting in my office and I was just like, Lord, this is humiliating. I mean, that's the word. I am humiliated. I lead winning at home. I was a pretty decent youth pastor. I try to be a good dad. I am humiliated. And I remember the Lord very clearly saying to me, yep, that's your problem. You're focused on yourself. You're focused on the fact that you're, humili- you're humiliated. Why, does, why don't you just focus on the right word related to that? Why don't, you, why don't you focus on being humble? Why don't you focus on humility and not humiliation? Because that's what he did on the cross. He was humiliated by the crowd of people on that cross. They, they mocked him and everything else. And what did he do? He responded with humbleness. He responded, responded with simply obeying what the Lord laid on his heart. And so as a youth pastor, I believe the way we best come alongside parents is to say to them, hey, yeah, you probably haven't done everything perfect, but let me remind you that Adam was God's first child, and Adam screwed up royally, and I've never blamed God for that. I've always thought, well, what a little fricker Adam was. And so I think that I need to remember, um, though we're not perfect parents like God would have been, we are going to make mistakes. We are going to fail. We are going to mess up. It's in our DNA. And so as a youth pastor, come alongside that parent and say, you may have messed up a thousand times or one time. doesn't matter. I'm here to help you. Here's some tools that will help you. And then as a youth pastor, look at your area. As a youth worker, look at the area where you live. Look at what parents need guidance with. Come up with strategies for them that encourage them. Hey, if you've got a child who's already struggling, you're double struggling as a parent because you're wondering about your child, but you're also second-guessing all your parenting skills. I sure did that. I second-guessed everything I ever did. And so as a youth pastor, I think to develop strategies that come alongside parents, whether they have really failed or have not failed, doesn't matter. Come alongside them and give them tips and tools on how to connect with their kids and stay, stay close to their kids. That's just a great way that you as a youth pastor can make a difference in the lives of families. That's so good. Yeah, fantastic. So, Dan, as we wrap up here, anything else you'd want to say, you have an open mic here, to youth workers about just the importance of families, the importance of parents, and what they can do to help? Yeah, just remember that teens have built-in crap detectors. They can tell if you're trying to screw them over. They can tell if you're fake. And, you know, we live in an authentic day. Kids want authenticity. So as parents, be authentic. You know, one of the things I do with my kids, always have, still do, is I'll say to them, hey, guys, I screwed up there, too. I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect parent. This is the first time I've done this, too. This is the first time I've been this age parenting you now. And so, you know, come alongside and just be honest. Be vulnerable. Be willing to be teachable. Stay teachable. As a parent, don't harden up. Don't harden your heart. Don't, don't do all the things you don't want your kids to do. Don't harden up. Stay pliable. Make sure you're like Play-Doh, willing for God to be able to squish you around a little bit, change your shape a little bit. And that's what's happened with me. I'm not the same person I was when I was a youth pastor, and I wish I could take some of the new squeezes God's put on me and make them uh, into the days that I had with those teens, but I can't. So what I must do is from this day forward, uh, try to be more effective, try to encourage parents along the way, try to be a better dad myself, better grandpa now. 
and just be be effective and try to make a difference for the kingdom. Uh, die to self. I got to practice that last night in a scenario with my family. I had, I had to die to self last night. It wasn't easy. I didn't like it, but it makes me a better person. If I can become more like Jesus by dying to self, then great. That's awesome. And so I would just challenge you pastors. Some of you are in your 30s, maybe late 20s. You know everything. You're pretty convinced that you know, you're listening to me going, I'll never have those struggles. Trust me when I tell you, when I was 30 year old, I would have never dreamed that I would have gone through the stuff I've gone through. So don't get too cocky. Don't get too caught up in yourself. If your youth ministry is going great, don't think it's you. Give the glory to God. Stay humble. Stay simple. Stay on your knees. Be a person of humility. And I think God will use your life. Thank yeah, you, man. Dan, for all your insight. You have uh, years of wisdom, and I, I'm grateful to even be able to sit here and listen and, and uh, be a part of this conversation. Well, you're kind to say that, and thank you again for investing in Anna, man. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, thank you for what you do. Um, you know, be encouraged, be inspired, keep doing what you're doing. Um, the Lord will use your life if you stay humble. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. Thank you. Lot. Thank you for your time. All, All right. right. See you, dude. See you. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.